If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. This is episode 160, and I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. It's also part two of my interview with John Pike. John Pike was the president of Paramount Television in the 80s and 90s. He served for 13 years there. Later, he was president of MGM Television. And for a while, he was the vice president in charge of Late Night at CBS. And this week, we are going to talk uh, about the birth of Fox Television. We're going to talk about the Star Trek spinoff. Believe it or not, there's a number of networks that weren't interested is hard to believe. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of television. Also, the role of an executive. You know, that's part of the business are the suits. We're going to talk about the role of the executive and how it kind of differs from being a studio head to being a vice president at a network. We're going to discuss the future of television and all of the various streaming services and where Mr. Pike thinks all of that is leading. And finally, we're going to give you some advice. If you're a young person thinking of getting into the television industry, well, John has some really good tips, some things that you need to know and some things that you need to do in a certain mindset that you need to have in order to break in. If you missed part one, by the way, after you listen to this, go back and check that out. He talks a lot about the birth of Frasier and Cheers and the glory days of Paramount Television. But right now, part two, John Pike on Hollywood and Levine. It seems like networks and the industry in general is just way more corporate now than it used to be. Well, it's a function of what, what began to happen when I was there. Everything began to become vertically integrated. And that was very difficult if you were aligned with a particular studio because typically then you would be producing shows for a specific network. Mm-hmm. In the old days, and I'm not that old, but in the old days, the nice thing about what we had to offer was we had the three primary networks. We had Fox that had just been born. We had the CW network. We had we had pay TV, and we had syndication. And you had a lot of customers, so you could go in and say, 
By the way, if you don't want to be in the Isaacs and Levine business, I know CBS does. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of that going on. Right, right. Sounds like it was more fun back then, too. It was it was really a lot of fun because you were playing you were playing a game of chess all the time and you one of the worst things to do is to try to satisfy yourself because everything you do you think you do right <laughs> well in those days it wasn't that way you basically everything was always changing uh and with change comes either failure or success but at least you know one way or another. Uh, but, you know, we did a show because we could... It's a, it's a fascinating story. Barry Diller was just launching the Fox Network. And he basically had three pieces he was going to use to launch the network. One was Joan Rivers in a late-night talk show. Mm-hmm. Two was a show to be named by Jim Brooks. Right, which became the, the Tracy Ullman show. And yeah. the third was... Star Trek, a spinoff. Okay. And that was the way it was going to be, and everybody knew it. Well, as it turned out, we went over and we did the pitch to um, Barry, and Barry said, okay, I'll give you 13. And I said, I can't do this show with 13 episodes. i got to build spacecraft and all that sort of thing. (laughs) He said, well, that's all I can give you. I said, well, that doesn't work. So immediately I went over to NBC and pitched it to Brandon. And Brandon said, why, would, why did you bring this to me? I said, because you own 10% of it. <laughs> he said, what are you talking about? I said, this was done in the days before networks were not allowed to own a piece of the show. Ah, okay. So you have a 10% share. And if you look at the number of millions of dollars you've made from Star Trek over the years, you'd be shocked. He said... It ain't going to work anyway, so I don't care. I don't want it. Took it to ABC. ABC said, I have no interest in the meeting. Took it to CBS. Kim LeMaster said, let's do a miniseries. And now I'm there. I've got this great franchise, and I don't have any place to put it. So I went inside our own company, and I said to Lucy Silhaney, who ran television distribution and was very, very good, and I said, I want to sell you a show. And basically, I pitched her out Star Trek. She did it as first-run syndication, mm-hmm. and the rest is history. Yeah, boy, that was huge. It was beyond huge. Yeah, yeah. And we made literally billions of dollars because of that. Wow. And NBC is still making money. That's correct. Off of it. That's correct. Yeah. Well, you've kind of been on both sides of the aisle because you were on the studio side. But then, after 13 years of Paramount you went over to CBS. You became a network executive. You were in charge of Late Night. What was that transition like? It was very strange, but you got to remember, I was always first and foremost out of the creative side. And the reason they brought me in was Peter Tortorisi at that time was having problems with one of his senior executives. And it looked like it was going downhill quick. And I get a call from Howard Stringer saying, would you do me a favor and go over and help Peter out? You know, kind of be a a first line of defense for him. And I said, sure. And they said, by the way, we'd like you to run late night programming. Not he, I don't think anybody realized it, but 
When I was vice president of programming for NBC stations, we developed The Letterman Show. Ah, okay. And it was developed for once week, late night, following SNL. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then Fred, in one of his crazy tyrants, decided he was going to put it on in the morning. Fred Silverman, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he tried to strip it 9 to 10. Now, there was no way it could be done 9 to 10. Uh, and we It was a noble failure. <laughs> a noble yeah. failure. And so, but once again, I, I always... I always sided on the opinion of the people that were creating the show. And I think too many suits spent too much time playing producer when they really weren't the producers. Mm -hmm. And our job was to sell and to improve and to critique. But bottom line was, even if the show was a turkey... I'd go in there and fight for the producers. That was my job. So you knew David Letterman really at the start of his network career, and then you flash forward, and he's now doing the late-night show at CBS, and this is after uh, all of the acrimony about trying to get The Tonight Show and everything. Were, there, were they two very different David Lettermans? Uh, David was the most difficult person I ever worked with in my life. Wow. I don't think that we ever really shared a casual cup of coffee together. Uh Uh-huh. I was never in his office. Um, I never had a creative meeting with him. Basically, I was there to worry about clearances and time periods and promotions. Okay. Um, and keeping the rest of the staff happy. But, okay. But I had spent most of my time with Morty and with Peter LaSalle. Uh-huh. Uh, David did not like suits. I was not allowed on the stage. I could only sit in the booth. Right. But you got to remember, David owned the show. Right. Unlike Carson, who didn't own the show. Mm-hmm. David owned the show. Mm-hmm. So it was a different paradigm. Uh, late night TV, even back then, was so different. I mean, now it is just so filled with so many shows. Boy, it's it's just hard to make a, a, an impact. I was tuning around and I came across Conan on TBS and my reaction was, oh yeah, Conan's still here? <laughs> well, look, at Murray Povich is still on the air. He is? I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, it is, it's amazing. Jack Parr's still around? I mean, what people don't get anymore, and I teach this in a class, is that there is such a a proliferation of programs that are out there. Some good, some terrible, some in the middle. The audience hasn't changed. The size of the audience, the piece of pie, right. is still about the same size. Right. It's just the slivers that are getting so incredibly small. And... With the vertical integration, that's going to continue to happen. A lot of these streaming services are going to fall under their own weight Mm -hmm. because there's too many of them. And people are going to wake up and say, I didn't realize TV was costing me this much money because I have to have a smart TV. Now I want to get into Amazon. I I want to have Hula. I want to have Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. Where is all this audience coming from? Right. I mean, I remember when we had a show years ago, um, and it was a was a 31-share show 
which today is if, if you if <laughs> phenomenal, you, yeah. If you can get a twelve share, you're on the air for the rest of your life. Right. Well, we were canceled with a thirty one share <laughs> with what Web- show? Webster. Webster, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, not exactly what you'd call great television, right? But a a thirty one share. It did the show. It did the the business at eight o'clock on Friday night. Uh huh. And when Lamasters canceled it, I said, "You're canceling." I mean, Teddy Harbert, uh, you're canceling a thirty two share show or thirty one share show. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember we were David and I. Our first job was on the Tony Randall show at MTM. We were on ABC. And we were getting a 30 share. And ABC said, we'll give you 13 for the next year. We don't want to give you the full 22. <laughs> because the 30 share, we were on the bubble. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just, it's a different ballgame today. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you do look around and you say to yourself, I mean, at one time, Family Ties was doing a 54 share. Really? Yeah, it actually out-delivered Cosby and Cheers. Really? 54 share. Wow. Wow. That's hard to believe. It is hard to believe. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, now just the whole way people watch television is different. The whole idea of binge-watching and and that sort of thing. Um, It's certainly a new world, but... Along with it comes a lot of confusion and everyone trying to figure out how to make money. And, uh, you know, we face a possible writer's strike and there's all kinds of things down the line because it's the Wild West out there and nobody knows what's going to happen. I have no idea where the money is going to come from to pay for these television shows Uh because they are spending extraordinary numbers to produce stuff that we produced for basically a third of the cost. Right. And we did have a bona fide back end. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not exactly sure how you do it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's going to all have a fallout. I mean, if you look at what happened last week, a small little item, uh, when um, Disney signed on with their new streaming service, right? Netflix immediately lost 1.3 million subscribers. Hmm. That's extraordinary. Yeah. And that's what's going to happen. You're going to find these streaming services that are going to have to fall under their own weight or consolidate. Right. I think it was, I I'm, you think it's wrong, but Google, I believe, paid Shonda Rhimes $500 million mm-hmm. because she they want, by the way, a whole bunch of Grey's Anatomies. Well, by the way, every one you hit, you don't hit them out of the park. Right. And, you know, if, if you look at the, the cast of characters that I had when I was at Paramount, and I got to tell you, they were the best from the, from you guys to the, David Lloyd's to the Charles Brothers. I mean, they were just a phenomenal staff. But by the way, we didn't we didn't hit home runs every time, right? You know, there were a lot of big wave Daves, mm-hmm. uh, which is which a show, was like a long triple, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a show that I looked at. and I went, "This is funny. It's different. It's unique. It can be sexy. We can actually put girls in bikinis." I mean, it had all the right stuff, right? Right. We didn't have the right time period. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's there's all of that. Yeah. Um, 
I, I think like the minute there is a recession and people have to cut back, what's the first thing they're going to cut back on? It's like, do we need four streaming services? Do we need satellite radio? Do we need all of this stuff? And I think the minute the economy goes down, that a lot of these streaming services are going to take a big hit. I think you're absolutely right, and I'm not even sure if it has to do with when we get into a recession again, which we will. Um, But when people become aware of how much money they are spending on video and audio and gaming every month Mm -hmm. times 12, it's a big number. That's why I don't think... Charlie Sixpack, as I call him, is going to be able to afford the kind of premium programs that are being offered today. And I think that's going to cause more consolidation. It's going to cause failure and consolidation. Mm-hmm. And the people in Silicon Valley are going to figure out, oh, my goodness, we're in a business we don't really understand. Uh, because you can't hire somebody because they had a hit and expect to have another hit. It Mm -hmm. doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Gary David Goldberg did a great show called Brooklyn Bridge. Got Emmys, got all kinds of things. By the way, Brooklyn Bridge was with one problem. Nobody watched it. Mm -hmm. And whether it was a good show, bad show, or in between, nobody watched it. I remember when we were at Cheers and we did the Tortellis. Right. Which was one of the funniest shows I've ever seen in my life. Because Dan Hedaya, just to look at him is funny. Right. Mm-hmm. And that show just died on the vine. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we are asked to do things. Um, Madeline Smith, by the way, is the actress's name. Okay. Um, Good for you. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's Brandon Tartikoff had a vision. And I would get a call once a year saying, I want you to go to your people. We want to do being there as a series. And I'd look at Brandon and I'm saying, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. It's basically a one-line show. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work, but they get this thing in their brain. It's like, let's do Ferris Bueller as a series. Right, which they did. Which I did. Yeah. We did Mm -hmm. it, and... uh, you know, it's funny as you look back on it, and especially in casting, uh, if you look at the three actresses that ended up on Friends, they all had their first shots at Paramount. Courtney Cox and Family Ties. Right. Right. Um, uh, Phoebe was on Newhart. Right. Uh, and the third was Jennifer Jennifer. Aniston was on uh, Ferris Bueller. Right. So all three of those girls ended up doing very well by failing. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, ex- exactly. And, and if you're an actor, think of all the, the times, like, say, George Clooney. George Clooney was in, like, five series and ten pilots before he happened to hit with ER. But, like I said, you go, oh, my God, there's George Clooney. I mean, you put him in anything, and it's going to be a hit. No, this guy bombed in like five different things. And now he is as close as one can come to being a bona fide movie star, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very curious because so few 
wanted could make that transition from television to movies. Right. And now everybody in the movies wants to make that transition from movies to television. Well, because if they can't wear a cape, there's there's nowhere for them to go. That's correct. In in the feature world, you said you're lecturing. What are some of the topics? What are some of the things that you talk about in your lectures to colleges? Basically, what I do is I I am a I am a guest uh, uh, lecturer at um, LMU. Loyola Marymount. And Mm -hmm. uh, what I try to do is explain to them that first and foremost, we are in a business, and the business is called entertainment, and what entertainment is is communication. And to me it is, I am shocked because I only teach seniors and graduate students, and I'm amazed that in the last decade how little... Uh, our young creative people know about communicating with one another. They can't write a sentence. They can't get up in a room and speak. They are basically confined to their electronic devices. Mm-hmm. And that's all they know. Mm-hmm. And I try to explain to them, first of all, you've got to get up in front of a room. Because if you're a producer, you're a writer, you're a whatever, and you're trying to sell a show, there's only one way to sell a show, and that's with passion. Because the buyer doesn't want to buy the show, no matter what it is. (laughs) Because if it fails, it fails on his watch. So you've got to go in there with as much passion selling Webster as you would going in selling chairs. Mm -hmm. Because to the buyer, the buyer says, well, I don't really know, but they have a track record, and he really believes in this, so let's go this way. And I'm I'm astounded at, you know, if, if you ask the first, the first question I always ask is, where do you see yourself in 10 years and what's important to you as a budding, you know, producer, writer, whatever? And they go lifestyle. And I don't get that. I came up, you know, it's it's all about success. It's all about getting that show in the air, keeping that show in the air. Mm-hmm. And they don't have that fire in the belly that, I, that I've that i seen for so long by so many people. I mean, I went from being a disc jockey to running a multi-billion dollar company. And I did that because of greed, ego, and passion. I became, well, I was a disc jockey and... Now I'm doing this. I haven't changed much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting right across from you. Uh, And finally, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? That's a very, very difficult question. And truthfully, no one has ever asked me that. My greatest accomplishment is I don't find you'll find many actors producers, directors, or writers that will ever say John Pike was the kind of guy that was a suit and didn't pay any attention to me and took care of my needs. Well, well, then today's your greatest accomplishment because that's the way I feel, and I'm sure anybody listening to this would go, oh, my God, I'd love to have this guy as as my boss. This, this guy gets it. This guy's great. So 
I I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm flattered to be your greatest accomplishment. Well, I'm flattered that you were once working with me, and I enjoyed it, and I love your partner. We're both Canes from the university, and I've stayed close to all the people. Great. Thank you, John. Thank you, my friend. Okay. And that will do it for this week of Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks to John Pike. Really an interesting guest, don't you think? Our thanks also to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wilford, and Bruce and Jason Miller. Want to email me? Sure. HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I will write you back. You can follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine. You can also follow me on Instagram, Hollywood and and Levine. Back next week with more. Thank you so much for listening. I will talk to you then. Hollywood and Levine.